Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to study. We ask you to guide and lead us as we go forward. Show us what you would want us to see in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 27. Paul has just been uh, in trial before uh, Agrippa and Festus. And they decided that, uh, well, if he hadn't asked for go to see Caesar, he could have been set free. Now we're going to look at him being sent to go see Caesar. So chapter 27, starting at verse 1. And when it was determined that we should set sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustus band. And entering into a ship of Admiritium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus of Macedonia, of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we were sailed over to the sea of Cecilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lyca, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Sindus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete, over against Salmona, and bare her hardly pass, passing it, came to a place which is called Fair Havens, nigh unto the city of Lycia. All right, here's Paul starting his trip to Italy. Uh, so it, they decided that it's time for him to go. They put him under the care of Julius. He's a centurion of the Augusta band, and we know nothing in history about the Augusta band. Augusta would have been named after Caesar Augustus, but other than that, we don't know. Is it a bodyguard for him? Is it somebody that did great service under him or what? We don't know anything about it. I, I looked, I searched, I searched the internet, I searched the, you know, the, the commentaries. Nobody knows anything about this band. Uh, the best they can think of is somehow they were related to service to Aug Caesar Augustus. Uh, but obviously it was something special. It's noted. Uh, he's definitely uh, Augustus. Oh, he's going to show up before Nero, yeah. but who, you know what, I, don't, I think he might have been sent to Augustus originally. Let me double check. I don't remember. Okay. Having you said that, I'm thinking Augustus is who he's going to think of that he's seeing right now. I think he is going to see Augustus uh, initially, but before he gets seen by the Pharaoh, when he finally stands before Pharaoh, yeah, before Caesar, he's going to stand before Nero. All right. I'll have to double check that. I wasn't even thinking about that at the time. Yeah, I think it was Augustus that he was going to, and I don't see it standing out anywhere in here when I was looking through it. Uh, so... They're in the care of a centurion, which means that there's going to be a pretty large guard, you know, taking Paul to this. I don't think the entire centurion's force was going with him. I don't think he's taking 100, guard, 100 soldiers to guard Paul and the other soldiers, but he is taking, he is a centurion. He is the commander of 100 people. And we get his name. And they get on board a ship, and it's a ship of Adramitium, which is a city at the western end of what we now call Turkey. Now, they didn't start from there. They just got on a, sh got on a ship that was from that town. All right. And they launched off to sail. They were, their plan was to stay close to the coast, All right, which is pretty much what all ships did, did back then, because if you didn't see the, sh see the coast, you got lost. It was not unusual to get lost at sea for these ships in the first century if they got outside of the coast. So they're planning to go north up along the coast and follow the coast of, of uh, Asia Minor. And so they leave where they're at and they get up to Sidon, which is just north of Tyre, uh, which if you're looking at our map would be 
up toward the end where the A of Phil, uh, where it says Phoenicia on the big map, all right, on the coast. You look right there where the A is on Phoenicia, that is approximately where Tyre is, give or take, on the coast. So they get up there to Sidon and they pull into it. And Paul is a respected prisoner. The centurion says that he gives him liberty. Means he let him go into the town without being guarded too heavily. All right, Paul, as long as you come back, you can go, you can go into this town and visit your friends. All right. Uh, and this is the way Paul's journey is going to be all along. He's going, to, he's going to be able to say things to people, do things to people, visit people. He gets to Italy. He's going to be put under house arrest, which means basically he has a soldier at the front door and anybody can come visit him that wants to come. And so we have this whole process coming in. And he has Aristarchus sailing with him. Now, this may or may not be a name that you remember, but when in Acts 19 and 20, when they were arrested in uh, Thessalonica, he was one of the ones that was arrested and punished. And that was the one that Paul wanted to go rescue. And he was told, no, stay back from, you know, stay out of this one. So this is that man. He's also mentioned in Colossians 4.10 and Philemon 24. So he is somebody that is a Paul's uh, companion. He's going to be with Paul probably most of the time between now to the time he's executed. So this is, this is somebody that is known. Uh, he's with them. They get it Sidon in verse 3, and, he's, and Paul is let, you know, okay, you've got liberty to go visit your people. You've got visiting, liberty to go visit your friends. Now, we don't know, was there a guard with Paul or not, but he's been given freedom. You can go ahead and go see something. People that have been in the military, especially the Navy, I don't know about the other ones, but they understand liberty. You get to a, you get to a, uh, a port and you get to go out <laughs> and do what you want for, for 24 hours or 12 hours or wherever, however long your liberty is. Uh, and Paul gets to visit his Christian friends in Sidon. And then they get back in the ship and they're going to set sail and they're headed for Cyprus, little island just uh, slightly northwest of where they're starting at. And it says the winds were contrary, which means that they weren't blowing in a direction that helped them. All right. If you've ever been sailing, you kind of know when the winds are against you, you have to do what's called tacking. It takes you forever to go side to side to go against the wind. Or you have to row. And many of these boats you had to row. And it's not very far to Cyprus from where they're starting. But it says it takes them a long time to get there. And then from Cyprus, they're going to go to Sicilia. And this is another place just outside of Cyprus. And then they end up at Pamphylae and Myra. So if you go, if you start at Cyprus on there and you go Northwest, you see these, see these uh, areas, Sicilia, Pamphylia, and Lycia. They're territories. So they're headed that way. So they're, they're cutting over Cyprus. They're going up into to Asia Minor. And once they get there, they pull into port. And in the city of Lycia, which is also in the county, the, the territory of Lycia, and there they look for another ship. This ship has gone as far as he's going to go at this point in time. And the centurion finds a ship out of Alexandria, and that's in Egypt, that is headed toward Rome. Now, we're getting late into the sailing season right now. And this is going to play a big part of this, this trip that they're going to make. And so they find this new ship. And they set out slowly, and it says, And when we had sailed slowly many days, we were coming over against Sindus, and not suffering to sail under Crete, came to Salmon. So they, they left this, this little territory of Similius, and they're headed toward Crete. This is why I have the map for Crete, if we can give uh, Sharon one of these ones. So, you have the other map, Sharon? The, it's been around for a long time. Salmon is on the 
eastern, southeastern part of Crete. I'm not sure if it's even on our map that I gave you, but because it's an older city. No, I had to write it in. <laughs> but it's on the southeastern side of it. Huh? Right on the tip, on the southeastern side of, of Crete. So they're kind of doing an interesting thing. They, to, you know, if we were sailing in our day, we'd have left straight from Cyprus and gone due, due west to Crete because we have nice maps and compasses and all of that. They went up to Asia Minor and then came back down to Crete because, they, again, they do not want to get far from land. Because if the further away from land, the more likely you are to get lost at sea. And their ships are not designed very well for getting out to sea very deep. So we have this, they're finally at Crete. And they had hardly passed it when they came to the city of Laosa. And right in the center of Crete, on the southern edge is Laosa. And just beyond that is where they call Fair Havens. It's a very shallow, open bay. All right? This plays a very big part in their decision on what they're going to do. And Paul and is making this trip. Luke is with him because we keep getting the first person statements on this. Luke is with them. And Luke is very accurate. He's giving all these little ports. He's giving all the things that they're going going in and about. And it says they had hardly passed it and they finally made it to uh, Fair Havens. We don't know how long it's taken to do this, but it's taking them a while. All right. Uh, remember, Paul had tried to make it to Jerusalem at Passover. We're going to find out in this next verse that we are only at we believe that we're at the, the Day of Atonement, which is around October, September, October. He started this whole last four chapters around April. So we have put five, six months behind us to get to this point. And the winter time is not when you sail the Mediterranean. All right? And this is what they're going to run into. All right, chapter 9. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only to the lading of the ship, but also to our lives. Nonetheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, and the more part devised to depart thence also, if by any means they might obtain unto Phoenicia, and there to winter, which is in the ha which is an haven of Crete, which lies beyond the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they obtained their purpose, Loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. And we're going to stop there. All right. They're in this little bay of Fair Havens. Uh, Fair Havens is not a great place to winter in. Their ship is out basically in the open. All right. It's not a good place to winter in. That's what they're saying on it. And Paul talks to them and says, uh, hey, we're getting to the bad season for travel in the Mediterranean. Um, and he says, Sir, I perceive that this, village will, this voyage will be with hurt and damage, not only to the laden, but also to the lives of all the people. Now, here is your prisoner telling you, I don't think we should be traveling. Doesn't hold much weight. All right? he's, not a, he's not a sailor. They're looking at him and saying, well, you, know, you're just, you just don't want to get, to get to Rome. You're looking for, either you don't want to get there or you're looking for a chance to escape. And the captain of the ship and the owner of the ship says, I think we can make it. I think we can make it to a better place. We can make it to a better place. Uh, and this, you know, and, and Centurion, this just isn't a place to winter. We, we don't have supplies. It's not protected. This is not a good place to winter. They're going to try to get to the southern tip of Crete. All right. Not a very far trip. We're only talking about, they're only going to try to go about 50 miles. 
50, 60 miles by boat to a better harbor, more protected, that they could harbor in. And it says in verse 12, and the more part advised to depart. So all the sailors are saying, yeah, we need to get to a better, we need a better port to harbor in. We, don't, we understand we need to winter. We don't want to be caught out in a storm. But all we got to do is go 50 miles away and there's a better, there's a better harbor to winter in, a better place, a better town than this Fair Havens. And Paul had said, don't do it. The captain says it's good. The sailors are all saying that it's good. And it says that they got a nice soft wind <laughs> to sail. So they decided, okay, we've got a wind that's going to be good for us. And they set sail to make the very short trip to the western part of Crete. All does not go well. <laughs> All right. Verse 14. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurylidon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up under the wind, they let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, they had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps and undergirdings of the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into quicksands, stake sail, and were driven, and being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day they cast out their, with our own hands the tackling of the ship, and when, and when neither sun nor stars for many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. All right. They're out there. Now, we've got to remember, this is a day before weather stations, before weather tracking. And they get out. It's a nice, beautiful, calm day. Uh, sometimes you go out to do something on a nice, beautiful, calm day, and a storm comes up when you don't pay attention to the weather. Uh, or it used to happen a lot, even when you did pay attention to the weather, because uh, our weathermen used to not be very good at it. Well, they're better than they used to be. They're actually pretty good. They can almost tell you exactly when a storm's going to start sometimes. But they got out and a very large, tempestuous wind grew up. And, they call, and it says it was called a Yerkolidon. Nobody knows what that means. Basically, from the description that we get, it sounds like they got caught up in some kind of something like a hurricane. They are being driven. And we're going to find they cover a large space of territory in about two weeks. All right. They're going to end up from Crete that they were only trying to go about 50 feet away. And by the end of the chapter, they're going to be landing in Malta. Malta is south of Sicily. All right. It's where they're going. And they're going to get to where they want to go. Just not the way they wanted to get there. All right, they had planned on wintering in Phoenicia and waiting out for three months to get before they took off again. And this storm is pretty bad. It says the ship was caught up and they could not bear her in the wind, so they let her drive. What does that mean? They just let the ship go wherever it was going to be taken. They were not in control at all. They, they, took down the, they took down the sails, they took down everything and said, okay, we're just going to go wherever the seas take us and we'll try to figure out where we are when the storm lets us go. And that's what they're doing. They're just trying to ride out the storm. The Navy and the military still do this. If you're in a place where, uh, where a storm's coming in, they'll send the ship out to sea and try to get away from the storm, but in the worst case, ride out the storm, out at sea, where there's no land to be, to be brushed up against. And then it says they were running up against a certain island called Claudius. And Claudius is an island just off to the southwest of Crete. It's barely on our map and a little tiny, tiny marking on there. So they started at Fair Havens. They wanted to follow along the coast and they ended up out at sea. This is a terrifying thing for them. They have no control of their ship, and they see land. They don't know what land it is necessarily. Yes, all those are little islands. The one we're looking for is this one right down on the south, southwest corner of it. The only one that's named on the whole thing outside of Crete. 
So they're out there, they're being driven close to this, and they said they had much work to come by the boat. So they had to struggle to get control of the boat because they needed to make sure they stay far enough from land to not get beached. Now, we think about this, there's a number of things that could get them. The island itself, reef around the island, shallows around the islands, there's all kinds of, they wanna stay as far away from this island as they can possibly arrange because this island represents dangers to them. And so they finally get a little bit of control of it. Um, if you've ever seen some of the old movies about the ships and everything where somebody, during a storm, will they put two and three men on, a, on the helm to hold it in place? This is what they're doing. They're putting a whole bunch of people on that, getting control of the helm, trying to get themselves a little bit of control of that, that ship. Because the last thing they want to do is, number one, hit a reef, because that's totally dangerous. They also don't want to hit the island, because uh, if you get jammed into the island, who knows what's going to happen. So they're working hard to get control of the boat. And then it says in verse 17, And when they had taken up, they used helps and undergirding the ship, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, and they staked the sails so, and so were driven. What this means is helps and undergirdings. What they would do is they would throw ropes in the front of the ship on both sides and they would walk them back and then they would tie them across the center of the boat to draw, to pull the wood back together and then they would do the same thing and take it a little further back and, and drew the, sometimes they would use chains, sometimes they would use ropes, but what they're trying to do is give support to the ship. It's too much storm out there, they can't dive under, they need to go under the ship so they're running these things out, and this happens after a storm a lot of times when the wood has been really shaken. They will wrap it up until they can find a place where they can put people down the side to nail things back up. So it's a short fix for a big problem. What it indicates is their boat was falling apart at the seams. And they're sitting here trying to tighten it up with ropes. Uh, it's kind of funny when you think about it, but it wasn't funny to them. Okay, this is a serious thing. You know, your, your, your boards start coming off the side of your ship and you're going to sink real fast. So they're doing everything they can to keep this boat together. All right? And the sailors are in the middle of a storm trying to do this stuff to keep the ship together and trying not to be blown off the boat, off the boat at the same time. So this is a pretty serious event. And then it says quicksand, that they should not fall into the quicksands. Now, I had to look that up and find out what they were talking about. That's what you're thinking. Well, where are you going to find quicksands? You're not walking on land. Sandbars. Sandbars that were constantly moving were called quicksands for the boat. And what would end up happening is you'd hit that sandbar, you would be grounded, and in a storm like this, that would be terrible. Because then your, your boat would be beat and not be able to move with the waves. And the waves would beat on it. The wind would beat on it. So again, what are they trying to do? They're trying to stay as far from that island as possible. They don't want any of these quicksands. And then the idea of striking their, their sail was they loosened it up. At this point, they have a sail up because they're trying to avoid the island. And, they're not, and they want to be in somewhat control of it. So they loosen the sail. And they're trying to keep away from it. And still, they're being driven. They're still not in very much control of the ship. They've got a little bit of rudder on it. They've got a little bit of control of it, but not much. All right? Um, and then it says, on the third day, uh, on the eight, uh, 18, it says, and we were being exceedingly tossed in with a tempest. And I don't know of how many of you have ever been out on a boat uh, you guys have been kayaking, and you know if you get out too far out in the kayak on a rough day, that, is, that can feel like you're being tossed. I lived on the East Coast. I went and visited the Santa Maria, the Pinta, and the Nina. Those ships are tiny. All right? And they cross the Atlantic Ocean in those things. All right? And those things are small. And one thing you'll learn if you go out sailing, the bigger your boat is, the more you can handle waves. The smaller your boat is, the more you get tossed around by the waves. All right? If you go out on a cruise on one of our great big luxury cruise liners, I'm told you don't even feel the waves hit those things because they're so big. 
unless you really, really hit a storm and then you really start reeling back and forth. But you have to have a big storm to hit those. The Navy guys I've talked to when they were on carriers, it's like, okay, we don't feel anything. You get on a little tiny destroyer or a, a, uh, crew, uh, a crew transport, every wave bounces you on, that, on this. And the smaller your vessel is, the more you feel every one of those things, and this is where they're at. We're not told how big this ship is. We do, are going to be told that it has 276 people on it, so it's not a small vessel, but a 276 vessel is not a large vessel either. All right? And a portion of them are the centurions and the, and the prisoners. They're not just the sailors. So this is not a huge one. So they're being bounced around on the ocean or the, or the Mediterranean. Uh, they're trying to keep it under control. And so what do they try to do? It says they lighten the ship. What does that mean? They throw all the cargo overboard. All right. This is what Paul told them. There's going to be a problem. I see there's going to be a problem, not only to the lading or the cargo, but to our lives. And so what are they trying to do? They're going to throw the cargo off, lighten up the ship so that it floats a little higher in the in the water and it is thrown around a lot more when it's lighter but it's not going to be swamped as easily so it's a two-way street sometimes you want the weight to be able to plow through things and this is a big deal the captain's making a very hard decision here he's throwing his income off the boat the only other income he has is these prisoners and the romans that he's carting along with him and so they lighten the ship and then it is said on verse 19 on the third day they cast out the tackle now we're going to find out not all the tackle they left some of it for the sails but anything that was emergency tackle uh, was extra stuff they threw anything they possibly could throw away off the boat outside of prisoners and people all right so they're doing they're desperate They've already been trying to tie the boat together. They're being bounced around. Right now, they've been in the, in the storm for three days. That's a long time to be in a storm, being bounced around. Uh, and on these type of ships, the wave, the wave falls out, and you come crashing down the other side of that wave, and down in, and then a wave, and then you get to the bottom of it, and you're looking at another wave coming your way. And that wave might be taller than the boat. And this has been true for many generations of seafaring people. They get out, and you always want to face your boat into the wave. They're not having much control of their boat at this moment. So, and then it says, And when neither sun nor stars were seen for many days, and there appeared no small tempest upon us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. We do not know what many days are. We're going to find out it's less than two weeks because Paul's going to start talking to them at two weeks. All right, so we know it's more than three days, less than two weeks that they've been out in the storm, being bounced around. That's a long storm at sea. They are being driven by this storm and not getting out of it. They, you know, they do not have a radar to say, okay, if we just bear 100 miles this other direction, we can get out of the storm. They're going wherever the storm takes them on this, on this trip. And all hope is starting to leave them. They've already thrown out all the cargo. They've thrown away all the extra gear, and they're still in a storm. This would be, and at this point, they're all praying to their gods. We need help, you know. Uh, you know, great God Poseidon, get us out, get us out of this, or whoever they're praying to. They're getting to the place where we're all going to die. They're losing hope. All right, verse twenty-one. But after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but, the, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God has given you all them that sail with you. Therefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as he, as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. All right. 
I love this because this is very close to Paul saying, I told you so. <laughs> All right. Um, so Paul has been fasting. That's what a long abstinence is, a fast. Paul has been fasting, and he says, Sirs, you should have listened to me. You should have obeyed me in the first place. I know I'm not a sailor, and I know you were only worrying about me, you know, thinking I didn't want to go to Rome, but you should have listened to me, and then none of this would have happened. Uh, but he says, I exhort you, be of good cheer. All right. they've, been, they've been bouncing around the ocean for somewhere between three, over three days and less than 14 days. And he says, be of good cheer. Uh, you know, that nobody's going to die. What did we read this previously? They're all afraid they're going to die. These guys are sailors. They know the ocean. They know the dangers that they're facing. They have seen... Maybe not this bad a storm. This is the worst storm that they've ever seen. They're being bounced around. They've done everything they can. The ship is falling apart at the seams. They're barely holding it together with ropes. They haven't been able to eat. They haven't been able to do anything. They're not in control of the boat. It is being driven by the, the waves and the, and the water wherever it wants to go. We're going to find out that they're going to end up in Malta and there's a lot of empty sea between Crete and Malta. And they're being driven fast by this storm. They don't know where they're at. They can't see the sun. They can't see the stars. They have no idea where they're at. All they know is they, their ship is going where it wants to go. All right? And Paul says, hey, be of good cheer. Nobody's going to die. They're probably looking at him and say, okay, you land lover, you're, you're the prisoner. Who are you to tell us nobody's going to die? But, you know, have you ever been in a place where you are calm when everybody else is, is panicking? And you just say, it's going to be okay. There is a place if somebody can stay calm in the middle of all the panic, that people are drawn to that person who's calm. Paul is saying, it's going to be okay. He's going to get their attention. They may think he's crazy. You know, who are you to tell us that it's all going to be okay? You know, we, we've, been on the, we've been on the oceans all of our lives. You know, we've been out at sea all of our lives, and we don't even know where we're at. When we do finally get out of this storm, we've got to figure out where we're at and how to get home. Yeah, and, that, and that's going to worry them. You know, if they're in the middle of the Mediterranean, as they do get into, do you fly? Do you, do you fly? Do you sail north or do you sail, sail south to get back to home? Which one are you closer to? They're in the middle. They can't see land. Do I have enough supplies after having thrown everything overboard to go either direction for any length of time? You say I'm only 500, you know, I'm, I'm only 50 feet away from one, you know, and I can just barely see it and I can't see the land and I decide to go the opposite way. This is what they're thinking. You know, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He is not a sailor, but yet he's calm in the middle of this. And then he goes to the next part. He says, an angel of my God, whom I serve, appeared to me. Now, these guys are superstitious or religious. You know, in it. They're going to go, oh, this man has seen an angel. He's seen a God. This is going to impress them. They already know probably that he has been arrested for being a Christian. You know, he is an evangelist. He is somebody who believes in a God strongly enough to be arrested for that God. I'm sure that they knew more about his story. You know, that, you know, he's probably talked to them. Paul's an evangelist. He's probably sharing the gospel message with them before the storm starts. You know, they know that he's a crazy nut that believes in a God, one God. And now he's telling them, the angel of my God told me that we're going to be okay. And he says, and this is, I think this next part was more for the centurion as well. He goes, fear not, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. So he's telling them, I'm supposed to go to Caesar. I want to go to Caesar. When I was telling you to stay at Fair Havens, it wasn't because I was afraid of going to Caesar. It's because I wanted to get there. I did not want to go out and sink in the ocean. You know, Paul has already shipwrecked several times already. You know. He's talked about this in the past, and he's been out in the sea. He's been stuck out at sea. He knows what it's like to be in a ship that sinks. All right? Um, 
And he says, but God hath given all of you that are with me. He goes, all of you will be saved. All of you will not die. And then it says, therefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God and that he will be, that he will do what he has told me. Isn't it wonderful when you know that God has told you something and you can be at peace? You know, God has said, this is going to happen. I know it's going to happen so I can be at peace because God is in charge. And here is Paul saying, God is in charge. But he did say, how be it, we must be cast upon a certain island. I don't know that he knew what island he was going to be going, that they were going to get stuck on. But he did know that they were going to be shipwrecked. But he still knew that he was going to make it to see Caesar. All right? So it's not an uncharted island that he's going to go in. He's not on a three-hour cruise on the Minnowed and stuck for, stuck for years <laughs> on an uncharted island. He goes, God has told me I'm going to go see Caesar, and yet we're going to end up on, a, we're going to end up on an island somewhere. And this is what he's telling them. All right, verse 27. But when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic, Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they, were, that, that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when we were gone a little further, they sounded again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for day. And as the seamen, as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they let down a boat into the sea under the color as though they would have cast an anchors out of the four ships, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boats and let her fall off. And while the day was coming, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day that you have tarried and continued fasting and have taken nothing. Therefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not a hair fall from the hair of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, they began to eat. And when they were all, and then they were all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all in the ship, 276 souls. And when we were eaten, when we'd eaten enough, we lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. All right. So here we are, Paul is again taking charge. Paul is the only one that's common out of, out of all his group. And he is literally taking charge. He's not the captain of the ship. He's not the centurion of the, of the, of the guard. But he is the messenger from God. He has a message and he gives it to them. And it says the 14th day was come and they went up and down the Adria, which is the area to the southeast of Italy. Uh, the Ionian Sea is called nowadays. Uh, the Adriatic Sea, which is further up in, uh, in it. But in the old days, it was that entire area between Italy and Crete. So they're finding themselves somewhere in the middle of the water. They don't know where, they have no idea, and they're being blown around. And at midnight, they determine that there's some island out there. Again, here's a scary thing. There's an island out there. They do a sounding, which means they throw a rope overboard with a weight to find out how deep it goes. And it goes down 20 fathoms, approximately 120 feet. They're being driven forward and they send it out again and they find out it's 90 fathoms. It's down to about 90 feet. This is scary to them. In just a very short time, they've lost 30 feet of water under the boat. All right. This means they're approaching someplace. They don't know where they're coming to. They don't know what island it is. They don't know if there's a reef around that island. They don't know if it's going to get shallow long before they get to the island. And it's dark. It's midnight. And they don't know anything about it. And it says, fearing lest they have, should fall on rock, they cast four anchors off the stern and wished for day. Now the word here says anchors. I believe these were probably sea anchors. All right. 
Uh, no. When you hear anchors, you think of these great big things that are designed to keep you in one place. They're in a storm. They don't want to be kept in one place. They would have thrown out sea anchors, which are more like parachutes and drags. And the drag would slow down the ship and act like a brake. Uh, think in terms of the drag racers. They get to the end of, the, end of it and, they, and a chute pops out and slows them down. This is what it is. So they throw four things to drag. You know, the, the point is we want to slow the ship down. We don't want to get stuck. Because if they anchored themselves, the waves would have beat the heck out of the ship. They just want to slow the ship down because very quickly they lost 30 feet. So now we can just slow the ship down. In six hours, we might be able to, when the sun comes up, we can see where we are at. We still use uh, sea anchors to this day where we can throw out things that look like parachutes and they slow the vessel down and drag behind you uh, to slow down the vessel. They also have a side benefit of they give you stability because they give you something out far that's dragging your ship back. So there's some stability in it. So they send out four of these most likely sea anchors, even though it says anchors in the, in the scriptures. And in the Greek it says anchors. It doesn't say sea anchors. Uh, but remember, who's writing this? Luke. They're just saying we're sending out anchors. He's not going to know the difference between an anchor to keep you in place and an anchor that is a sea anchor to slow you down. So they're out there saying, we just need to slow down. We need to be able to see where we are at. And putting four sea anchors out is a pretty big, big uh, uh, slowdown. So they're slowing down and they're fearing and they're wishing for day. God, just give us, you know, we need to see where, where are we? What are we coming on? All right. And again, the panic, they're in the middle of the night. And all they know is the water is getting shallower. And it's one thing to be in shallow water when you can see. But when you can't see more than a few feet ahead of you, and remember there's a storm, they don't see the sun or the moon, so they're not seeing a whole lot anyway in the middle of the storm. And so they're out there wishing. And then the seamen get this wonderful idea. They go up to the front of the boat as if they're going to throw out, and it says, I love the way, under the color of putting out a boat, uh, another anchor. In other words, pretending to do the pretext. We're abandoning ship. You all can just die. We don't care. And Paul recognizes what they're doing. You know, they're not grabbing a sea anchor. They're grabbing the lifeboat and starting to put it over. And he turns to the centurion and says, all bets are off. If they, if they leave the ship, God said all of us were going to get out. If they leave the ship, who knows what's going to happen? And the centurion sends his soldiers up and they cut the ropes to the life raft. They just said, okay, clean, chop. And the life raft drops out. Now, this is a moment when things could go really crazy. These are Roman soldiers doing this, but they're on a ship. Then Roman soldiers aren't that great on ships. They're great on land. They're wonderful on land. They're good fighting men. But they're on a ship. These sailors are used to having to defend themselves against pirates and other other people so they are they are not unknown to war either and they're used to this they're used to the rolling deck and, and you said a ship registered out of alexandria now whether they're egyptians i don't know but the ship just like in today's world you go on a cruise and the ship is registered out of out of who knows where and who knows what the you know the crew is from all around the world all right and this is true, if you go on, any, on a cruise liner, you, you're going to hear just about every language amongst the crew is around because they're all from different, different nationalities. But the ship is registered out of Alexandria, so quite likely has an Egyptian crew. All right? Um, but not necessarily. They're going to they're pick up sailors wherever they pick up sailors from. But they're not Probably not. Well, Rome, Rome controls Egypt at this time, too. So they're vassal at the very least um but there's a moment of battle here you know hey we're getting we're getting away and you guys are you just cut our ship away you cut our little our vessel away. now why they wanted to be in a lifeboat in the middle of a storm i don't know in the first place they were much safer in the boat than they were being the in it but again 
it's getting shallower and shallower. They're thinking at the worst case, this road, this lifeboat can go over the reef and we'll beach the, we'll beach the, beach the little lifeboat. And Paul says, hey, you can't let them go, Centurion. So a moment of possible problems when the, when the Centurions come, the Roman soldiers come up there and cut the lines uh, and just drop the boat into the water. Huh? Mutiny. Well, it wasn't going to be mutiny. Well, actually, there was a mutiny because the captain didn't tell them to do it as far as we know. So there is a mutiny going on. And so they are preventing a mutiny, uh, but not quite the way we'd normally think of it. They're not mutiny. Against, you know, they're saying, I'm going to go save my life. All right. All right, verse 33. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This is the day 14. Come and, you know, come and eat something. <laughs> 14 days without food. This has been a long storm. They're bouncing around on the storm, probably at the front end of a hurricane and being driven by this hurricane. They can't get ahead of it because they're a sail-driven vessel. So they can't get ahead of the hurricane. It's going wherever they're going, wherever it takes them. They have to wait for this hurricane to blow out. I'm technically, I don't know if it's a hurricane in the Mediterranean, but bad storm. The equivalent of a hurricane. It's, it's bad. It's probably called a hurricane. Uh, and he says, take and eat. You know, he goes, it is going to be good for your health because no, you're not, none of you are going to lose a hair on your head. God has told me we're going to be safe. Just take and eat. And then it says, they all took food and he took the bread and he gave thanks to God in their presence. He started eating and then they all ate. And I love this in verse 36. Then they were all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. I love this. Paul's confidence in God is starting to rub off on everybody else. He is so confident that everything is going to work out good and that God is in charge and that he's going to protect these people that that confidence is rubbing off on them. And, of course, you always feel good after you've eaten. It wouldn't surprise me if there was more than just food involved in this good cheer. <laughs> you know, we're all going to die. We might as well really feel good about this. They are sailors. So I'm not going to say there wasn't more involved in this good cheer than just the confidence. But there is this, added, this avenue when you are confident and you are at peace in the midst of a trial, people notice. And they will usually acknowledge they may not like it they may think you're crazy but they will acknowledge that you're at peace and that you're somebody that they want to be getting to know a little bit and so this is daytime and after they had and then they and then it just gives us this little message that there were 276 people on this ship so this tells us how big the ship is it's not it's not a little galley and it's not a hundred person galley that's floating around this is a actual decent sized ship for its day all right not a big one 276 person ship is not a huge vessel especially when you think of some of the big three and four story ships of the middle ages that would hold you know 1500 3000 people on them so it's not that big but it is a good sized ship it's not it's not a little tiny thing this is one that would probably have had a carpenter, a, a doctor in it, you know, a very large hold for having this many people on it. And then it says, and when day was come, and then they lightened the ship by throwing all of the rest of the food over, the wheat. So now they're throwing the food over. In this case, we do know what they're doing. They're, they're saying, we're getting closer to some land. You know, we, we've been breaking. We want to know what land it is. We want to know where we're going. And now we're going to lighten this ship up completely at this point anything that can be thrown overboard is being thrown overboard including the food because you know you're approaching land whether whether you're going to get there or not is another story but you're approaching land all right verse 39 and when it was day they knew not the land but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which they were minded if it were possible to thrust the ship and when they had taken up the anchors they committed themselves into the sea, loosed the rudder bands, hoisted up the mainsail to the wind, and made towards shore. 
And falling into a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken up with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel, soldiers counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept him from kept them from their purpose and commanded that they should they that which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all to safe land. All right, sun comes up. You look over there, there's an island. <laughs> good, and, good and bad news for them. There's an island. First, first thing is, none of them recognize the land. All right, these are experienced sailors, but they're looking out there and they go, we don't know what island we're coming on. We do find out that it was the island of Malta, which is a pretty good-sized island. So it's, it's one that they're going to go, we, we're going to beach this thing. We're going to go find this island and find out what we're going to do. And so they're looking, at, they're looking at it, and they see on the island this little cove with a, with a creek coming out of it or a small river, small river type thing. Now we as land lovers probably go, well, we don't understand that. But what that meant was there was most likely a channel that they could drive the boat really close to land, all right? They're not worried about beaching their, their ship way out at sea. They're, they think we can get really close to land before we, before we beach this thing because there's a creek out there. There's a, a water flowing in. Uh, and at the very worst, we're going to hit this close to, close to the island rather than far out in, where the reef would be. So it says, they decided that they were going to go beach their ship. And I, and I kind of like this. They, and when they had taken up the anchors, I don't know if they actually picked them up or cut them out. I think they probably cut them. Cut the ropes for the anchors because they're not planning to ever need them again. They're going to beach this thing. And when it beaches, it's probably going to be destroyed, and they know that. And they committed themselves to the sea. They loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. These are terms that unless you've spent any time looking at sailing terms, you have no idea what they're talking about possibly. It says they loosed the rudder. Now this has one of two meanings. Either during the storm they had cranked the rudder up so that it wasn't going to be beat on the side of the ship, which is a possibility. So they lowered it back down so they could have control of the ship. Or Loosing the bands would have been that they tied off the helm and, and tied it off so that the rudder stayed straight the whole time. Either way, they're getting control of the boat at this point. So if it's dropping the rudder down back into the sea so they can control it, or putting many people on the wheel and loosening the bands so that they are now in, going to fight that rudder and hold it in place. One of those two things. And they put people up and hoisted up the mainsail. They said, we're going to beach this thing and we're going to do it quickly. We've been, at, we've been driven for 14 days. We're going to put this thing on the land. And so, and they made toward the shore. And then falling into the place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground. The front of it stuck fast. And the back half was being beat. This is not what they wanted. All right. Uh, yeah, they, they, they wanted it to go really nicely aground. Now, it'd still be beat, but right now the front of it's stuck and the waves are beating on the back of it. Literally, by what it says, the hinder part was broken up by the violence of the waves. So the back of the boat is being torn to shreds while the front of it is stuck on the, on the sand. Now they are close enough, you know, that means that right now the water, I don't know what the draft of this particular boat was, but they've lightened it. So the, the water is less than 20 feet deep, probably even only 10 or so feet. Uh, and it's being destroyed. All right. Now we have another point in here, which is kind of an interesting point. The soldiers have standing orders. If it looks like you're going to lose your prisoners, you kill them. 
So they're lining the prisoners up to be executed. That's their standing orders. If they lose a prisoner, they get killed. So this is a pretty serious moment in time. Paul has said, we're all going to get a share. You're not going to lose anybody, Mr. Centurion. The angel told me so. The soldiers are getting ready to execute their orders. We're not going to let these guys get away. We're going to kill them before we get there. So it's at least, we don't know how many prisoners because it said Paul and prisoners. We do know it's Articus, Luke, and Paul, and then some, one or two others. So there's at least five people they're getting ready to execute. And the centurion has them hold back. Probably traveling with Paul. It's questionable. Yeah. It's, a different, it's, it's a different world back then. Luke was most likely a slave, even though he's a doctor. So he is Paul's servant as far as they're concerned. Articus is probably going in as Paul's servant. All right? He could be an arrest. We don't know for sure. All right? It's a different world. You know, Paul is a Roman citizen, so he's not being stripped of all of his rights. So it's okay, Paul, you've got servants, bring them with you. Right, we're going to kill everybody. They might have let them live, because if they're not prisoners, they might have let them live. All right? But they're killing the master of them, so who knows what their, whether their life was in danger at this point or not. Paul's life definitely is. The other prisoners' lives are in danger. You know, I am... From what I know about history, Paul would have had to pay for Luke and his servants to be on this boat with him. Rome wasn't giving them a free ride. All right. Paul got a free ride because he's prisoner. His servants would have been paid for by Paul or the church in this case. So the centurion stops them. Why this centurion has this attitude about Paul, we don't know. We're not told what it is. Has Paul impressed him by the gospel message? Maybe Paul has led him to the Lord. Maybe just the confidence that Paul has shown all along. He's reading back to the words where Paul says, all of us are going to make it to the beach. You're not going to lose, you are not going to lose anybody. And he has enough confidence in Paul's statement to believe him. We don't know. But you realize this centurion is taking his life in his own hands at this point to have not execute these prisoners. Worse yet, he's taking all of his soldiers' lives in his hand because he's telling them not to execute the standing orders. All right? Now, if you've ever been in the military or know people in the military, standing orders are very important. important. You obey standing orders. And nobody contradicts standing orders because they come from higher up than the people that you are dealing with. So this centurion is saying... We're not going to kill these guys. Again, we have a point where there could be a mutiny going on at this point because his soldiers are looking like, uh, you're putting our life on the, on the line to not kill these guys? Uh, are, you going to, are you going to speak for us at the court-martial? Uh, so we had all this going on. And then he says, okay, anybody who can swim, jump in and go swimming. <laughs> Swim to the island. Anybody who can't swim, grab onto anything that floats and go to the island. This is a moment, can you imagine, you're still in the middle of a storm. And you're close enough now to land that you now have big waves pushing you in. Now, I have found it fun to go swimming in, in big waves. I like it. I'm a good swimmer. There are many people who don't want to go anywhere near an ocean when there's big waves. And here's the centurion saying, all right, everybody who can swim, start swimming. If you can't swim, the boat's breaking up around you, grab something to float with and, and get, to, get to the beach. This is also a point in time where he could start losing prisoners. People could die because this is a big deal. You know, this is... you. You know, as much as fun as I've had in it, there are times when I didn't want to go out in, a, in, a, in the waves because they were so big. And there are daredevils who love to go surfing and whatever else, play in the water in the big waves. These guys have no choice in the matter. Uh, the sailors hopefully all know how to swim, but not all sailors even knew how to swim back then. 
Even in our day, sometimes swimmers don't know how to swim. Uh, so there are many of these guys that aren't going to know how to swim. And they're going out into this very rough water that has destroyed the ship. And the waves are still destroying the ship. And they're out taking a swim. Surfing. Surfing. <laughs> Get me on that board. I'm going to surf all the way to land. <laughs> you know, most of them, they can't swim. They're not, they're not surfing. They're holding on to that board with dear life. Uh, hoping to get there. The centurion has put a lot of faith in what Paul has said, that the angel of God said, all of us are going to make it on this, on this beach. This is a dangerous point for the centurion. Are we going to make it? Am I going to be executed by, by the next Roman centurion I come across for not obeying the standing orders? Are my, are my prisoners going to get free and I'm going to be executed for letting them get free? There's a lot of things in here. What faith this centurion has in what Paul has said. This is why I'm almost convinced that this guy got saved somewhere along the line with Paul. Somewhat. But he's still, you don't lose your prisoners. Doesn't matter what your prisoners are charged for, you do not lose your prisoners. Uh, and it was, if you lost your prisoners, you lost your life. This is why when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, when the Roman guard said they, they took the body while we slept, they had to be paid an awful lot of money to be willing to make that statement because they were putting their life on the line. If, they, if these guys did not bribe enough officers high enough up, they were going to be executed. They lost a prisoner that they shouldn't have lost. He's dead. <laughs> and they lost a dead prisoner. You know, this is even more serious than losing a prisoner. You lost a dead man. And their life was forfeit. They, had they were in standing orders not to lose a prisoner, and if you did, you were to be executed. This is where the centurion is right now. If he loses any prisoners, if, Paul has told, if Paul's prophecy does not come true, he and his men can be executed. So this is a pretty big deal for him. To make this decision this is great confidence in what paul has prophesied was he saved we don't know was he leaning towards salvation i think he was because he's listening to paul he's been well two weeks plus the time it took him to get to creed in the first place there are two weeks in the storm all right and we had a few days on trying to go to creed and, and asia minor so he's probably been out at sea for at least a month month and a half two months so Paul, has, it is a good chance that he's gotten saved out of this deal. We're not told that, but I'm just saying he's willing to listen to Paul. He's willing to listen to this man's prophecy. At the very least, he knows that this is a man that follows a God who's strong and that he believes in this God. All right, so at the very least, he's, he's trusting the prophecy of this, of this man. Enough to risk his life and enough to risk the life of his subordinates. And they listen to him, surprisingly. He is their commander. Right? If they had executed the prisoners and still got away, then they would have been executed for disobeying a direct command. If the prisoners get away, they can be executed for letting the prisoners get away. Either way, they're facing death. This is not a good place for them. This is the hardest thing for any person in the military to have two opposing commands and have to decide who you're going to obey. Usually you're told to obey the one who's giving you the most recent command and stand on that as your defense. So-and-so told me, we told them there was another, that you had told us to do this, but they told us to do this. Usually that will get you off the hook and that's what they're going to hope for. We obeyed the centurion's command. He told us not to kill them. So if you want to kill anybody, him. Yeah. We, were, we, were obeying, we were obeying his rules. His command was don't kill them, so we did not. Probably would get them out of trouble, but not, not an absolute guarantee. All right, we're going to leave Paul and them floating on the water for a week. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to help teach us to be calm in the middle of trials and storms. Show us to be able to trust you in all that happens. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? 
Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.